Welcome to the fourth episode of When Women Preach. My name is Miriam Cho, and I will be your guest host today. I am the sound editor of this podcast as well. This podcast is a project of the Innovative Space for Asian American Christianity. Young Lee Hertig is the program director and the usual host of this podcast. It is funded by the Louisville Institute in order to help Asian American and Latina women get the tools they need to become more effective preachers. So I'll be introducing our two guests, or rather they'll be introducing themselves. So first up, Lisa. My name is Lisa Beeler Ivara, and I am a graduate of Duke Divinity School. Before I started at Duke, I worked as a landscape architect and urban designer for about a decade. So I'm really interested in the intersection of religion, theology, and the arts. My name is Angie Hong. I'm a second year MDiv student here at Duke, and I am a worship leader and um, a writer and a speaker. Great. Thank you so much for being on our show. Um, I just wanted to start out with a question about what you're currently working on. Right now, I'm working on a project that's looking at the south side of Chicago, looking at the way that racial and religious imaginaries were constructed in space and in the way that the south side was constructed physically um, in terms of urban planning and Daly's urban renewal programs. Very cool. Angie, do you want to explain what's going on right now for you? I've done worship leading for different conferences and retreats, and um, I've worked in different churches as creative director and liturgist and worship leader. So right now I'm in school sort of as an incubator time to really put words to the things that I have done and the things that I will do in the future. I've been doing some writing and uh, gathering and talking to different worship leaders about diversity in worship. Great. So in the last podcast episode, we actually talked about how preaching can be very different than just the standard person going up to the pulpit every Sunday. I was wondering um, if you could just tell us what preaching is to you, what art is to you, and how they might intersect. That's a great question. I didn't grow up in the church, and so when I started attending church in my early 20s, the closest analogy or <laughs> corollary between preaching for me was teaching. That's, that looked very similar to me, and I approached preaching as a congregant very much as a student would approach listening to a lecture. And I think a lot of the churches that I was in, that is how preaching was done. It was sort of an instructional time, more akin to an academic setting than um, the way that I understand preaching now. Um, and I think what's been interesting for me in learning more about preaching, and also, I'm not a preacher, but... Um, okay, when inter- you say that, Sorry. what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> in the traditional sense, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but that definition has expanded for me the more I... I look into the intersection of theology and the arts because I think in the same way that what is art, that definition of art is so fluid and is sort of ever expanding. I feel like preaching is, should be similarly expanding um, in terms of what its form is, what its place is, who can do it, where can it be done? Do you feel like you have preached before in non-traditional way? Yes, and I think I've been preached to in non-traditional ways, either through people in just regular conversations or in artworks. I feel like 
artists have preached to me through their work. What's an example? The the story that always comes to my mind is when I was um, in Tokyo when my grandmother was passing away, and I would spend a lot of my days at art museums because she had dementia, and it was hard for me to be around her because she didn't know that I was grown up. And so she would get confused. And so it's better if I kind of stayed away during the day and would come see her at night. So I'd wander around. And I was at the Tokyo National Gallery. And I came across this painting. uh, And I was just totally transfixed by it. I don't know why. I was sort of looking at all the other works passively. But this painting really struck me. And I sat down in front of it for what must have been 45 minutes, almost an hour, when I got back to the hospital, my grandmother was more lucid. And so my mother said, why don't you come and tell her what your day was? So I told her, went to this museum. I saw this amazing painting and I was just transfixed. I don't know why. And I started describing it to her and my grandmother just started sort of flailing around and getting really excitable. And it turns out that that was her favorite painting as well. And not just that example, but it continued to sort of preach to me past that moment once I start, went back to back home to Seattle, I started researching who is this painter, what is this painting, and it problematically had these Japanese nationalist roots. It sort of preached to me in a completely different way about this problematic um, history and also kind of what it means to be a Japanese-American woman with this imperial past. And so I think that piece of art has been the most sort of impactful preaching artistic moment for me. Wow, that that's like amazing, but also very hard to grapple with too. So yes. thanks for sharing that. All right, Angie. <clears throat> well, I whenever I preach before I even begin speaking, so this is maybe somewhat different than a traditional preaching um, preacher. Is I always ask the room like how many how many of y'all for this is the first time you've ever witnessed a an Asian American woman preach behind a pulpit and a majority of hands go up and I think I always try to point that out because it is a very different thing and sometimes I even congratulate them (laughs) and say like congratulations this is your first time ever hearing it you know and and then with the arts you know I've always been um, I'm a musician and so I've always understood the power of nonverbal communication even as I worked as a music therapist so I knew that a lot can be communicated, a lot can be expressed uh, without words. There are sorts of elements, and this is going to sound really weird but out there, but um, music therapists and musicians look at the spaces in between each note played. And I think that preaching is very similar to that, where you are looking at this sort of space in between the now and the not yet, and you're you're standing there and you're simply like, inviting people to notice what's going on. I think that that opens up a great possibility um, in terms of preaching and where I hope preaching goes in the future. Um, Because really for most of my life, I've only experienced preaching as just like this telling, you know, just telling Mm -hmm. repetition, you got your three to 10 points, then you walk away and your life is enriched. And it's sort of like a business proposal. Um, But what I hope that I really like this conversation because it opens up um, what is the art of preaching and and how is it artistic sort of storytelling in in between those moments of the now and the not yet. I have a question for you, Angie, following that, because I thought that was really fascinating. I know you do a lot of work on sort of decolonizing worship. 
So I wonder if your understanding of sort of the space between reflects that critique of the way that sort of Western classifications that are sort of very object-oriented, if, if that sort of influenced your understanding of that, that space between and the interplay of movements between things rather than looking at um, different aspects of worship or preaching within these sort of compartmentalized, object-oriented um, perspectives. Mm. Yes, compartmentalizing has... I, I'm becoming more and more aware of how everything, even in worship, has become so compartmentalized mm-hmm. and not looked at as the whole. Um, you know, the whole is the greater of the sum of its parts, but we've been so focused on these little particular parts um, and not the whole that I just feel like this is a this is really a time of great creativity and understanding what that is, which is a very decolonial sort of work to engage in. You know, I've been a worship leader for years, but I feel like I'm just beginning to really uncover what that means. And it has a lot to do with like preaching too and prayers. And I mean, really everything in terms of liturgy is becoming wide open for me. And I can't wait to really delve into that and to share. I wanted to ask a follow-up question as well. Um, You described liturgy as becoming more open. I was wondering what that means in terms of like structure. Perhaps there are different ways of doing that. Um, but I think of a lot of like improvisation in music. And I was wondering how you see the worship experience decentering. Uh, well, this is a very timely conversation because the church is changing. There probably will be a lot of elements of uh, church production um, that are going to hopefully change. The more produced a worship service is, the less likely there is to be any sort of improvisation. I used to work at a mega church called Willow Creek, and every, even every word that was said during worship, like an exhortation or a prayer, that had to be vetted and written out and approved by pastors or other people. And, um, and so when you're sort of locked in, there isn't a lot of room for improvisation. Now, the other end of that is to go way far and just to do something that is not translatable or, or is really difficult to follow, and you don't want that either. But I feel like the if we go back to sort of a smaller church understanding and model, I feel like there is a level of trust and understanding that we are here producing this work of, I hate saying it, a work of art within the worship just with the congregation, a collaborative spirit. I really liked your analogy, Miriam, about <clears throat> improvisation mm-hmm. and the way you answered that, Angie. And one thing that I was thinking about when you were you were responding was the way that fear sort of works in the way we perform liturgy, in that I feel like the best sort of improvisers in my brain naturally goes to jazz are really playful and open with classic canons of music or kind of the way that tonal structures are arranged. There's a fearlessness of not not worrying about making mistakes. I'm thinking like John Coltrane's Giant Steps. If you look at if you listen to the album, he makes a ton of mistakes mm-hmm. or what we in quotes mistakes, but he keeps them in those recordings because that's a part of that performance. Um, and so what is the fear that we have of 
of playing with liturgy, of kind of messing with these supposed like sacred mm-hmm. um, rituals and performances. And that applies to preaching as well, mm-hmm. even the traditional kind yeah. of preaching. I mean, there's this... polished sermon that you pair during the week, you've done your exegesis, and you go up there and deliver a great speech-like sermon. And I think sometimes preaching has to be improvisational and messy um, in response to the spirit, in response to the congregation's collaboration. And yes, the worship service as a whole, including the sermon, including the liturgy, it could be, I hope, <laughs> yeah. it will morph into something that allows for more people to participate simply because it is less structured, um, allows for fluidity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I let's stay on that subject of jazz because I improvisation for sure. But even in Giant Steps, I mean, there's a clear structure that people may not, the, the naked ear will not understand this, that there is a clear structure going on. Okay. Um, and... What's interesting about that is that there is a foundation that people can't capture, but if they wanted to, they could go deeper to understand that structure. What they see and what they experience is this like um, this art happening. They may not fully grasp or understand, but they know that there is something really beautiful going on with improvisation. The more you're grounded in that foundation, the more you can improvise. So it's like, Within this really clear structure that is so complicated, you can then improvise. And I think that that's something that preaching, maybe we should go deeper on that. There's so many sermons that it's clear that there's not a foundation. <laughs> you know, or, you know or, or just so, even when it's so structured with the three bullet points, you just get a sense of like, that's it? Like that, is that how deep that goes? But with I think good preaching, you figure, oh my gosh, this is just the, I've heard the very tip of the iceberg. And I think that that foundation, if we're talking about jazz, isn't just a musical foundation, but a relational foundation, right? Mm -hmm. It's John Coltrane with his band. Mm -hmm. Um, And same with preaching. We tend to think of it as one lone, you know, God-ordained person speaking into the void. Mm -hmm. The authority. Yes. And we don't think about the relationality between the preacher, not only with God, but the relationality between the preacher and the congregation and how that improvisation is more easily attained if you are, have that relationality and have that trust and have that sense of being able to improvise and make mistakes Mm -hmm. without having to be held to some sort of performative standard of perfection. So as a student who has graduated, I just wonder about your sort of critique or assessment about how your typical seminary graduate or somebody who wants to preach, Mm -hmm. how well do they know the foundation? I think, at least my experience at at Duke Divinity, is that they're very well-versed in those foundations. Mm -hmm. But what they're not perhaps as well-versed or um, confident in is is playing with them, mm-hmm. is being creative with them. And maybe that's mm-hmm. where the arts come in. I wish there was more space for, for people to explore, especially as I see so many um, young people leaving the church in droves because of the 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 ways that we've done church maybe don't resonate with them anymore and the way that they live their lives. And not that the church has to conform to whatever mm-hmm. you know culture dictates. I think there is something about why aren't we being more creative with the way that we do church, the way that 
preaching is done um, in a way that responds to the sort of creative minds of of our generation. Yeah, I am, and Angie as well, we're taking a class this semester on homiletical imagination by the great Chuck Campbell, a really awesome um, professor of homiletics at Duke Divinity. And he's sort of really playing with that idea. Um, I mean, he would argue that like preaching is all these other non-traditional forms. So some of the things we're exploring are stand-up comedy, jazz music, of course, and specifically Coltrane. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on that class? Well, I came out of that class just thinking this class is going to mess me up good because I thought I was going to go in there and just become a better preacher. And the way that he talked about it was really opening up, just giving space. And um, what I shared during the class was during winter break, I went to uh, the Diego Rivera and Frida Kahlo exhibit, both really wonderful artists. But the difference was Diego's is very direct and there's a lot of finger pointing and a lot of very um, direct political statements. And there's a definite timestamp. It showcased what was going on in Mexico at the time. Kahlo is, hers was much more cosmic, transcending time, and a lot of pain. And those are things that transcend time. And I compared that, I compared that with preaching. So right now we're sort of in this Diego Rivera, like, I'm going to tell you things in your face, be as direct as possible and make it simple for you. It's possible that we can have this like Frida Kahlo, Frida Kahlo experience where it's like, oh, wow, I'm just thinking about so many things all at the same time and I want to go deeper and just study it. It's interesting that you bring up stand-up comedy. Have you seen um, Hannah Gatsby's Nanette? On Netflix? No. She's a stand-up comedian from New Zealand, I believe. And I would love it if more preachers listened to that that special on Netflix. She sort of pushes the boundaries of stand-up comedy in terms of what what you can speak about, especially in terms of female anger. She's, you know, talks about being angry a lot and how that's not accepted broadly in Western culture, but also not accepted from a woman who's a stand-up comedian, whereas male stand-up comedians can be angry and sort of volatile, and that's funny and acceptable. Um, but then also she weaves an art history in her stand-up in really interesting ways, and so in ways that sort of um, indicts toxic masculinity and um, homophobia and transphobia in really compelling and productive ways. And I think when I saw that, I thought, oh, if that someone preach like that that would be amazing mm. mm-hmm. hmm. speaking of great i guess preaching experiences angie do you have one of someone that kind of just did something different and then touched you in that way because i hadn't seen that many women of color in general but especially mm-hmm. asian um right. api women speak I hadn't really experienced anything kind of special, but then there's this one sermon by Valerie Carr, and she's not even a Christian. She's a sick woman from India, and when she preached at this night watch service in D.C., uh, Reverend William Barber was there. There's all these, It was an interfaith sort of service on watch night, and she got up there, and in seven minutes, she had the entire congregation on their feet. She had... William Barber 
run around the stage, the organ was playing, and I couldn't believe it. I didn't think it was possible until I saw that sermon. Hmm. And uh, you can see it, it's on YouTube. But uh, when I saw that sermon, I was really transformed because she was able to weave in parts of her story, her immigrant story from her ancestors up until now, and then her being a mother to a boy who is of a sick faith. And I just, I was really transformed by that sermon. So that's, that's the only one that I've really seen that I was like, wow, it is possible for somebody like me (laughs) to preach. (laughs) Hmm. I only mention this because it's so not thought of as a sermon. Usually Harriet Powers quilts. I went to a lecture last year, actually, um, by Danielle McCray, who teaches at Yale Divinity. And she has done some great research on these quilts that were made by Harriet Powers in in the 19th century, I believe, um, after slavery was abolished. And these quilts tell the stories of of biblical stories, but then also incorporates um, some West African thought as well. And the cool thing about the quilts is that you can actually, like, feel them. Mm -hmm. And Dr. McRae would argue that these are sermons through touch, through that kind of sense. I really love that you brought up Harriet Power's quilt because there seems to be this like hegemony of the audio, right? Of, of listening to a sermon rather than having a tactile experience or even tasting it. Um, I know Howard Kim, who's a classmate of ours, did a talk on food as preaching or kind of incorporating cooking into it. Um, so I wonder how taste, I mean, obviously with the Eucharist, which is a form of preaching, right? Where we're tasting and touching, but how can we kind of expand that moment in the liturgy to other parts of the, of the worship service as well. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I think food is such an important part of any Asian American church mm-hmm. experience, perhaps, but that's kind of something that you think of as like the afterthought, but I don't know, I would say that it's integral to the life of the church and perhaps part of the service itself. Something that also I have not seen in person as much is uh is the Korean pansori. It's a Korean storytelling practice by a woman. And there are Korean percussion instruments that sort of have this sort of drone underneath. But she is basically doing a storytelling, but she does it in this sort of sing songy kind of way. I can't even imitate it because it, it's a it's an art form. It's an art form, and you do have to train in it pretty rigorously. Um, but she holds a fan, and she sort of dances when she's sing- she's sort of telling you the story. There's rhythm in it. There's a sing-songy tone, but it's a storytelling. I mean, she holds a fan. She what could be better response. than that? I know. It's calm response. Yeah. It's great. I was just going to ask, since this is a podcast that women preachers will listen to for inspiration and help and advice, is there any resource or tool you go to often to, I don't know, for your own purposes, like how to express yourself through your art um, in a theological context? I have listened to a lot of sermons online, in person, and, you know, there's a, there's a formula. You know, the, the goal is to crack the formula. The goal is to really master the formula. And now it's wide open which is so unsettling to me. It's an, it's very exciting, but it is the work. It is the work, and a lot of that is this decolonial work, 
a lot of that is foundational things, foundational theory to improvise. And that, I mean, that's tough, but I also feel like it's so, I'm so excited to do it. As Asian American women specifically, like what gifts do you think we bring to that task of um, decolonizing worship and imagining preaching in a new way? I think for me, as a Japanese American woman, is modeling what it means to deconstruct coloniality is something that I've felt called to again and again, whether that's in my academic work um, or artistic work. There is a mirroring that's happening in Pacific imperialism that happened in you know the Atlantic slave trade and Atlantic coloniality. And I think interrogating Japanese nationalism, the history of Japanese imperialism, war crimes, not only politically and socially, but also artistically, the way that art was used as a sort of cultural weapon against other indigenous cultures, um, doing that difficult work is what I'm called to. And I think is something that I hope when I share that story and talk about um, really hard Japanese history is something that I hope that my listeners take and, and look at. There are just so many things to unpack that so much work that Asian American and Asian women need to do in terms of patriarchy, coloniality, uh, Western hegemony, uh, lots of patriarchy, you know, and, and immigration. There's so many things that need to be unpacked and as quote unquote invisible sort of voices, it's a very exciting time. It's very experimental. And for me, I'm just really looking forward to how different people do it. Like what Lisa just said excited me, gives me a lot of energy. I think for me specifically, um, it is going to be focused a lot on worship and in preaching, just like the whole liturgy, what the next iteration of that is. Yeah, I would agree with you in that it is a huge task for um, most, I would say, East Asian American cultures, especially to decolonize um, patriarchy. And I don't think we should neglect that and um, just work at white churches. It's our, it's not like our task alone, obviously. It is everyone else in our community as well. But I think, you know, in the history of Asian American churches, women have found incredible ways of subverting that. And again, preaching through other forms, whether it be through music or the food that they make every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I think now we just have to legitimize that. And if Absolutely. you think about it too, like, I can recall so many meals that people made for me, the way it tasted, the way it looked, how I felt, or songs my mother or my grandmother sung to me. I can barely remember, you know, one sermon that I heard <laughs> in the traditional sense, you know, by a white man or something like that. It's it, that sort of visceral memory that really sticks to your bones and sticks to you. Yeah, always seems to come from um, women and doing these sort of very tactile, seemingly mundane, seemingly kind of profane sort of works, right? Yeah, we have a huge task ahead of us, but exciting. we should it. We should have exciting, yes. Thank you for tuning in to the fourth episode of What Women Preach. This podcast is a project of the Innovative Space for Asian American Christianity which is doing a number of projects in order to help Latinx and Asian American women become more effective preachers. If you'd like to check us out, 
Our website is isaacweb.org. Thank you.